Hello, and welcome to Beach House 34, the show that dives deep into true crime cases, revealing the truths behind crimes that reveal shocking secrets, stories sure to make you just a little more paranoid, and maybe even lose sleep. Here is your host, Christine Wirth. Welcome back to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. Because therapy is expensive and true crime podcasts are free. <laughs> I'm your host, Christine Worth. Now, if you're joining me for the first time, a big warm welcome to you. I am thrilled to have you here. To all of our returning listeners, thank you so much for your continued support. You are the reason I do what I do. So today, we dive into a case that has remained unsolved for over 35 years. The disappearance of Tara Calico. Was her disappearance a random event? A tragic circumstance taken advantage of by the wrong person at just the wrong moment? Or was it something more premeditated? So today what I'll do is I'll talk about what happened to Tara, the theories around her disappearance, and a Polaroid photograph that's involved, but it was found 1,500 miles away. This is the case of Tara Calico. On September 20th, 1988, Tara Calico, a 19-year-old student at the University of New Mexico's Valencia campus, started her day like usual. She had a strong 3.9 GPA and dreams of becoming a psychiatrist. She had a really busy schedule this day and one that included first her usual everyday bike ride. Then she had tennis with her boyfriend at 1230 and then she had class at four o'clock. She left her home in Bellin, New Mexico, and this is a town that's about 30 minutes south of Albuquerque. And she left home at 9.30 in the morning. She rode her mother's neon pink Huffy mountain bike and listened to music. This was a daily, daily ritual for Tara. Now, this route, this regular everyday route along New Mexico State Road 47, when Tara took her bike ride, would turn into a mystery that remains, for the most part, unsolved over 35 years later. Tara usually kept to routine. Her bike ride was a 34-mile round trip to a railroad crossing and back. And this is a route that she often shared with her mother, Patty Doyle. Even today, it's a very wide open space. So if you picture a sandy, somewhat desolate and brush-filled flat land on her route, this is what it looked like for miles and miles. However... On some recent bike rides, Tara's mom, Patty, felt as if they were being stalked by someone in a vehicle. So Patty decided to sit out on the bike rides for a while. She didn't feel very comfortable with it. And she also didn't want Tara to go. But in true Gen X fashion, I can totally relate. Tara brushed it off. Patty wanted her to, hey, if you're going, at least take something with you. And she suggested mace. But again, Tara just shook her head, thinking her mom was worried about nothing. Now that morning, 
Tara was all about getting her day in order. She had everything laid out, her tennis clothes, her racket, uh, tennis balls, school books, and her purse. She even asked her mom to rewind a couple of cassette tapes. Now, one of them was by the band Boston, which she planned to listen to on her yellow Sony Walkman while she rode her bike. Now that day, the day that Tara went missing, she knew that she had a tennis date, right? With her boyfriend at 12.30. And she told her mom, jokingly, sort of, to look for her if she wasn't back by noon. So Tara leaves on her usual bike ride and noon came and went. And Tara was nowhere to be seen. By 12.05 p.m., when Tara hadn't returned home, her mom, Patty, started to worry. So remember, Tara had said, Mom, if I'm not back by noon, come get me. So Patty, obviously worried at this point, starts searching the usual bike route, but Tara's nowhere to be found. That's when the alarm bells really start going off. So Patty decides to call the cops and the search begins. Now here's where things get a little eerie. Along Tara's bike route, they find pieces of her Sony Walkman and a cassette tape. Now Patty thinks that maybe Tara dropped these on purpose like breadcrumbs to mark her path. So as efforts to find Tara escalated, people started to come forward with sightings, witnesses, described seeing her at 11.45 in the morning, just two miles from home. She had her headphones on and it was just Tara doing her typical bike riding routine. A few people though, noticed that a light colored pickup truck, possibly a 1953 Ford with a camper shell driving close behind her. Now today, we'd consider these trucks kind of classic vehicles, right? But in 1988, it was common to see them on the road. Now, this information about a truck with a camper shell would turn out to be the last confirmed sighting of Tara. This pickup truck soon became a key element in the investigation, viewed as a potential clue to her mysterious disappearance. Now, the only evidence ever found were the Sony Walkman and the cassette tape. Tara or her bike were never found. But this would lead you to believe, right, that this truck that seemed to be following her could have fit both Tara and her bike in the back. The camper on the rear of the truck would have hidden this hot pink bike really well. And you would think that this hot pink bike would, here's this whole entire sandy tan colored landscape, this hot pink bike is going to stand out against that landscape, right? It was never found. Now, Tara, though, as usual, you know, she's 19. So as because she was legally an adult um, and as an adult, you know, the police think, well, you know, she has every right to just take off and do whatever, you know, she wants. She may have done this on her own. The police questioned the family. Was Tara unhappy? Is there any reason why she would have wanted to run away? Were the pressures of school getting to her? Her family absolutely denied any of this. Tara was quite possibly the most organized, life-loving person that they knew. Now, even so, 
police and multiple volunteers searched for Tara. Now, you might have caught on that Tara's last name, Calico, was different from her mom's. Now, Patty, her mom, had remarried when Tara was young, and her stepdad, John, essentially became the only dad that Tara really knew. Now, their blended family had a total of five children from previous marriages. John Duell, Tara's stepdad, was always so impressed with Tara. She was able to take care of herself, and she was a very nurturing person. Even when Tara was young, her nickname was Teeny Tara. At six years old, six, six years old, she would make her own breakfast, including toast, eggs, and a glass of orange juice. She had to use a stool to be able to stand at the counter to accomplish all these things, but this didn't stop her, and Tara did this every day. Now, her independence held true her whole life. Even at 19, she was able to balance her work and college life. It was very typical of Tara to make very, very detailed to-do lists. And this included time for personal care, activities like tennis or biking, and even time to shop for her mom. Her stepdad referred to Tara as, quote, a little machine. The search for Tara brought together a large, large group, including her family, her friends, volunteers, and law enforcement. Now, not only did they search for Tara from the air using airplanes and helicopters, on the ground, they searched by foot and on horseback. They covered as much area as they possibly could. Dogs were even brought in to follow Tara's scent. Heat-seeking detectors were used to scan the area where Tara was last seen. Not finding anything, the search team even hired a water witch, now commonly known as a dowser, who claims to have the ability to locate items using dousing rods. Using a strand of Tara's hair, they tried to locate her, but didn't have any luck. Now this turn to using an unconventional method like this, like using a water witch, which also showed how frustrated and helpless everybody felt that was involved in the case. They were trying these unusual approaches because the normal ways of investigating just weren't giving them the answers that they needed. Now, time passed with no sign of Tara or her bike. First days and then months until something happened nearly a year after Tara's disappearance. A disturbing photograph was found. In June of 1989, in a convenience store parking lot, a Polaroid photo was found in Port St. Joe, Florida, nearly 1,500 miles away from Belen, New Mexico, where Tara went missing. Now, why is this important? Well, this Polaroid photo appeared to show two young people, an older teenage girl and a young boy, tied up with their mouths covered with black duct tape. The woman who had found the photo had noticed a white Toyota cargo van that had been parked in the spot earlier, and it had been driven by a man with a mustache who looked to be in his 30s. So the police immediately began a search of the area but the van or the driver was never located. 
So adding to this mystery, Polaroid officials later confirmed that the film used in the photo wasn't even available until after May of 1989, which would indicate that the picture was taken well after Tara's disappearance. Now, this photo received widespread coverage on national television shows like A Current Affair, and it caught the attention of Tara's mom, Patty Doyle. The thing is, though, is that Patty and John weren't even aware of this photo until late August, almost two months after the photo was found. As Patty and John looked over this picture, they were struck by how much the woman in the photo looked like Tara. Patty truly felt that it was Tara. She noticed a scar on the girl's leg, a lot like one that Tara had from a previous accident. And there was a book that sat near this girl in the back of the van. And the book was entitled My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews, which was known to be Tara's favorite author. However, when it came to experts looking over the photo, no one could agree. Scotland Yard even looked at the photo and believed that the woman was in fact Tara. But analysis from the Los Alamos National Laboratory and the FBI couldn't say for sure. Now, what about the little boy in the photo? Well, this was believed to be Michael Henley. At least this is what his parents thought. So how does Michael tie into this? Well, five months before Tara went missing, there was another missing persons case which happened in New Mexico. Michael Henley, a nine-year-old boy from Millen, New Mexico, disappeared. In April of that same year that Tara went missing, Michael also vanished. He was last seen during a family camping trip in the Oso Ridge area of the Zuni Mountains. Now, this is a location just 45 miles from where Tara would later go missing. Now, because the two cases were so close to each other, both in terms of time and location, it added yet another disturbing aspect to the case. So naturally, naturally, links were made between the two missing person cases. Now, Michael's disappearance happened during a turkey hunting trip in the Zuni Mountains. He had gone with his father and a family friend. But within just 20 minutes of them arriving, and as the two adults were busy setting up camp, Michael mysteriously disappeared into the forest that surrounded them. As soon as Michael went missing, a large search effort began right away. However, they ran into some pretty serious problems. The search was made tougher by a snowstorm up in the mountains and the rough landscape. Now, even though 400 volunteers, state police, National Guard members, and airplanes all joined in to help, they couldn't find any sign of Michael. The search was also made more difficult because there were a lot of similar scents and footprints in the area, which made it hard for the search teams to figure out anything for sure. Now, over a year since Michael Henley vanished, public interest in Michael's case, just like Tara's, was rekindled when the photo was aired on A Current Affair. Cibola County Sheriff Ed Craig saw this as a significant lead in Michael's case. Now, Michael's family, too, initially thought that this boy 
in this photo that was found in Florida might be Michael. So while Michael's father also shared this belief, he also conveyed his own doubts and the deep unease that at the thought that, you know, his son might be, might be the child in this disturbing image. About a year goes by, and in June of 1990, the case of Michael Henley took a tragic turn. Not far from where he was last seen, in a dense thicket near the family campsite, a rancher discovered the remains of a child. The clothes found with these remains matched what Michael had been wearing at the time of his disappearance. After thorough investigation, these remains were confirmed to be Michael's. It was a heartbreaking closure. Michael had died accidentally from exposure not long after he went missing. Now, this discovery changed everything. It proved that Michael wasn't the boy in that creepy Polaroid picture, a clue that once seemed important in finding him and Tara. For Michael's family, this meant an end to their search, giving them a clear but heart-wrenching answer. But for Tara's case, things got even more confusing. Since their cases weren't connected like everybody thought they might be, the Polaroid's mystery deepened. It left Tara's family with even more unanswered questions. That strange photo remained an unsolved piece of the puzzle, making Tara's disappearance even more of a mystery. So years, years go by, and no new information surfaced about Tara. However, something pretty disturbing did happen. In 2009, 2009, years later, Port St. Joe Police Chief David Barnes, the police chief from the same place where the Polaroid had been found years earlier, received two letters containing images of a boy with his mouth covered in black ink, which reminded the police of the 1989 Polaroid photo. Remember, in that photo, they had black duct tape over their mouths. So these letters, which were postmarked actually from Albuquerque, New Mexico, just outside of where both Michael and Tara disappeared, this all introduced a new element of intrigue to the case. Now, around the same period, a self-proclaimed psychic attempted to connect these images to Tara's disappearance and hinted at links to California. However, this lead did not yield any substantial or verifiable information, and it left the case just literally shrouded in more questions than answers. Again, again, years go by. But Patty Doyle's conviction that her daughter Tara was the woman in this Polaroid remained unshaken. Her commitment to uncovering the truth drove her to collaborate extensively with law enforcement and engage with the media. So Patty's belief in Tara's identity in that photograph persisted, despite her husband John's growing skepticism about the case. In their home, and remember this is years later, Tara's room was still preserved exactly as she had left it. 
Now, all this weirdness about these Polaroid photographs doesn't end with what we've heard so far. There was another one found in Montecito, California. It was actually found near a residential construction site. And the picture showed a blurred image of a girl's face, her mouth covered with tape. Now, it was really eerie how this Polaroid seemed so similar to the one that was found years earlier. The way the woman was restrained was almost exactly the same. The photo wasn't clear, but it captured the image of a girl with her mouth taped shut. Her hairline also featured a distinct cowlick at the right temple. Now, this is a detail that Tara's mom pointed out in the original photograph that was located in Florida. Now, adding to this creepy nature of the photo, the background in this picture contained a light blue striped fabric, which bore a striking resemblance to the same fabric seen in the Toyota van Polaroid previously associated with the case back in 1989. So Tara's mom, at this point, she holds a strong belief that this newly found photograph is yet another image of her daughter. She has drawn attention to specific details in the photo, uh, particularly the eyes. One pupil appears lazy and asymmetrical, and this is a characteristic that she notes was also present in Tara's eyes. This particular detail has reinforced her conviction that the girl in this photograph is indeed Tara. So, what happened is forensics analyzed this photo and they dated it to a period of time after May 1989, which would have been close to the time when Tara disappeared. Patty felt that this new photo resembled her daughter. Seeing this, Patty was certain that Tara was still out there, but caught up in circumstances beyond her control. And just when you thought that things couldn't get more strange, yet another Polaroid photo popped up. Now, this picture was dated around February 1990, and it showed a woman who was blindfolded and loosely bound, sitting next to a man on an Amtrak train. Now, the location of this Polaroid was significantly different from the others. Patty looked at this photo and did not recognize the woman as her daughter. Nonetheless, the police, even though Patty didn't think it was Tara, still took the image of the man that was in the photo on the train and incorporated it into suspect composites, expanding the scope of individuals potentially connected to the case. So while these photos seem to provide hints at where Tara may be, or at least someone who looked like Tara, nothing came of them. How frustrating is that? Throughout the entire ordeal of Tara's disappearance, her mom faced a situation that no one should have to experience. So here her daughter goes missing. They have all of these Polaroid photos popping up from essentially everywhere across the United States. Daily, daily for years, she's having to think about where is my daughter? What happened to my daughter? Nothing is found. But here's the thing is that you might think, you know, here the sheriff of Valencia County, the area where Tara disappeared, was in regular contact with Patty. 
And you might think, well, this is a good thing. Somebody's keeping Tara's mom in the loop and providing her information so that she's assured that the case hasn't gone cold. But this would be so, so far from the truth. According to Patty, this sheriff's detective would contact Patty with disturbing theories about what might have happened to Tara. Now, one of these theories proposed by the detective was that Tara may have been abducted by a satanic cult. Now, today, we'd look at this with a grain of salt, right? But back in the 1980s, something called the satanic panic was in full force. The belief was that there was this large underground network of Satanists who were out there committing horrible crimes, including ritual abuse, especially of children, animal sacrifices, and other horrible things. So the media at this time frame, the media covered it, religious groups covered it, and certain published books at the time centered around this topic. It got to be so bad that the public believed it, law enforcement believed it, and it even affected court cases. So since that time, all of this panic, all of this stuff around this satanic panic has been debunked. But at the time that Tara went missing, it was a real fear and a real belief. But to offer this to a missing girl's mother, that she may have been abducted by Satanists and had become a victim of their abuse or worse is just cruel. It's just downright cruel. The detective, this particular detective, the satanic panic detective, didn't stop there, though. He was insistent that Tara was a runaway and that the family just didn't want to admit it. Now, as time went on, thank God, new detectives took over. Uh, Patty was assured that this was not the way the police practices were meant to go. And it's not the way that the current group of police were handling Tara's case. So again, time goes by and Tara is still nowhere to be found. Her family would receive calls from law enforcement. They'd get calls from psychics and they'd get calls from just the general public who were just interested in the case. Now, one of the things that the family had to do, um, kind of a necessary evil, one of the things that they had to do every so often was to identify photos of deceased young women to see if any of them resembled Tara. None of them did. Now, ever since the day that Tara disappeared, her family has sat and waited at Tara's childhood home, remember, still in New Mexico, and pursued every lead they could in trying to find her. Her parents appeared on Oprah, on America's Most Wanted, on Unsolved Mysteries. They even had themselves deputized so that they could access information on the cases they needed. They sent over 200,000 flyers to law enforcement agencies, uh, not only across the United States, but globally as well. Despite all of this work, they were faced with the knowledge that Tara may never come home. In 2003, after waiting for years, hitting dead end after dead end with all of the leads that they had and with Tara's family very frustrated with law enforcement, Patty and John 
made the painful decision to move away. They'd always wanted to move to Port Charlotte, Florida, and so they packed up their things and went on their way. Now, the move was supposed to happen much sooner than it did, but they didn't want to leave their home in the event that Tara was found. After years of searching, they realized that they just had to move on. The home that they had all shared together was a constant reminder of what was missing. Tara's room, which had not been touched since she went missing, did have a few things added to it, though. On Tara's bed were a pile of presents. Presents for each Christmas and each birthday that Tara would have had. Now, even though they were moving themselves, they decided to take Tara's bed and all of her things to their new home. Sadly, just uh, three years after moving to Florida in 2006, Tara's mom, Patty, passed away after having a series of strokes. Sadly, she will never get to see justice done in Tara's case. Two years after she passed away in 2008, something else happened. The current sheriff in Valencia County made an announcement and claimed to have knowledge of what happened to Tara and who was responsible. He said that he believed it was two teenagers who had been following Tara on her ride when she was accidentally struck by their vehicle, and in their panic, they disposed of her body. He then said that without Tara's remains, he couldn't proceed with any arrests. Now, even though he made this statement, he made this public statement, he had all ears on him, no names were mentioned, and no specific evidence could back it up. Now, Tara's stepdad, John, he was upset and frustrated at this announcement. He couldn't believe, and neither can I, that this guy would make this information public without having something of substance to back it up or even announce an arrest. So what, if, what could have been hope for the family was nothing more than wishful thinking. If this were true, all they had was circumstantial evidence. So seriously, what the hell was he thinking? Again, years go by. And in 2023, 15 years after this really weird announcement by the then sheriff about the teenagers, something happened. And this time, it was worth listening to. Sheriff Denise Vigil addressed the public saying, quote, I personally was not sure I would ever see the day of a significant breakthrough, but I stand before you confident in the findings in this case. As of June 13th of 2023, the Valencia County Sheriff's Department announced that they have identified a person of interest in the case of Tara Calico. They also said, that they have enough evidence to submit to the district attorney's office for a review of potential charges. Now, as of the date of this recording, the investigation into Tara's disappearance is currently under review by the 13th Judicial District Attorney's Office. There, what they're doing is they're going over the 35 years of files that have accumulated in Tara's case to determine if there is enough evidence to press criminal charges. So until then, we all just kind of have to sit back and wait and see what they announce 
And hopefully everyone who has been involved in this case from the beginning can finally have some closure. But how exciting is that? That even after all these years later, they have enough information that they believe is important enough to bring to the district attorney's office. And that, my friends, is currently where we sit with the Tara Caligo case. It is frankly amazing that 35 years later, they may have, hopefully, let's cross our fingers, they have a lead in what happened to Tara. And I hope that we find out this year, hopefully sooner than later, the actual results of this and see if somebody is in fact going to be charged in her case. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you'll never miss an episode. There's some exciting topics I've got lined up for 2024 and you won't want to miss them. Until then, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>